You're listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we are working to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear good news and as we scatter to share it. A very special welcome to the Liebenberg family. The Liebenbergs are, as another friend of mine would say, fellow Great Commission enthusiasts. And through that, we've become very good friends. And welcome. It's very good to have you with us this morning. Let's read through our passage for this morning, and then we'll pray and dive in. We're going to be hanging around in 1 Peter in chapter 2, reading from verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray. Father God, you will build your church. You will complete what you have started. And so we ask this morning that you would use your word powerfully this morning. That you would speak and your Holy Spirit would make it effective in our hearts. And you would build us up together into what you desire to see. Pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. A big idea for this morning. Jesus made you precious and gifts you to one another, building you into his church. We'll have to do a little bit of work to get to that point. In the 1860s, there was a bishop in the Anglican church in what is now KwaZulu-Natal who started writing and teaching that the scripture is not authoritative, that it is not inspired, and he started attacking several other Christian doctrines. And of course, this became quite an argument within the church. But one interesting result that came out of this is that a young minister in England, he wrote no less than 12 hymns each one on a line from the Apostles' Creed. 
and each one defending a truth that we believe from Scripture. And what I find really beautiful is that we have the privilege of singing even one of those hymns this morning. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. And anchored, as we move through a transition, as there are some changes in this church, it's a good opportunity for us to ask, who are we? Why are we here? What are we doing here? Over these last two weeks, we've looked at the roles of elders and deacons, these gifts that God has given to the church. And this week, we're going to be zooming out a little bit. We're going to be looking at this thing that we call the congregation and exactly what that is. What we're not going to be doing is figuring out exactly what we should be doing as we move forward through the transition. We're not going to be looking at the specifics of how we organize. What we want to do is follow what Peter has to say about who we are as a people, what we are based on. Where do we come from? Answering all of these questions. And so let's just dive into verse 2. Peter says, Like newborn babies, long for pure spiritual milk. Okay, so the first question we need to ask then is, what is this pure spiritual milk? And for that, we have to go back a few verses in chapter 1, where Peter says in verse 23, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Peter goes on to explain how people are like grass in comparison to this word. For all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Now look at the second half of verse 25. Peter does something very interesting. He makes this even more specific, and he says, This word is the good news that was preached to you. So what Peter is speaking about is the word of Christ. Peter is speaking about Jesus himself, his finished work, his person. And so when we come to chapter 2 and we see the spiritual milk, this word that Peter uses for spiritual is actually an interesting word because it's not the same word as we see in the rest of our passage for spiritual. This word is playing off this idea that he's introduced in chapter 1. He's playing on the word for word. He's talking about the word. And so this milk is speaking about the word of God, the word of Christ. It is this word that created life and faith in you. And now Peter's saying, continue to desire it. Long for this word. Crave it. Want it with everything you've got. If you're coming to this passage with your Bible glasses on, you might be thinking, hang on, Peter's speaking about milk. Is he calling the believers immature? Peter's painting a slightly different picture for us in that when the other biblical writers use this picture of milk, they're usually comparing it with meat and immaturity and maturity. What Peter's doing is like this. So some of you in this room are parents, 
some of your siblings, and you might remember that day when baby hasn't had milk for th more than that three or four hours. And at that point, no amount of rocking to the rocking the baby or cooing to the baby or cuddling the baby is going to do anything. At that point, the dummy is not going to even fit in the baby's mouth anymore. At that point, you're testing this bottle every few seconds, hoping that it will be at the right temperature. And all the while, this cry is just going straight through your head and straight through your heart. And at that point, nothing else will do for that baby. There is nothing else the baby wants except that milk. Primrose, we'll be praying for you. And this is the picture that Peter is getting at. Nothing else will do except the pure spiritual milk of the word. It doesn't matter what point you are in your spiritual walk. It doesn't matter where you are in being mature. There is nothing else that will nourish you except the word of Christ. The Bible that points you to Christ is what will grow you up and grow you closer to him. Also notice something that Peter doesn't say. He doesn't say, preachers desire the word, and everyone else, well, trust that the preacher is doing his job. He's speaking to the congregation. Now remember, when we speak about the congregation, we're speaking about the preachers, the, the elders, the deacons, and everyone else who is serving, but not within those two roles. Why do we have to go on about this? Well, anchored, the sad fact is, chances are that one day someone is going to stand up here and try and lead you into his own opinions or feed you with psychology or philosophy. Maybe it'll be one of us, or maybe it'll be someone coming in from the outside. And the question is, anchored, what are we going to do? Are we going to just sit back and pretend like nothing is happening? Oh, I'm sure he's the professional. He knows what he's doing. Or are we going to respond like the Bereans that we see in Acts 17? Searching the scriptures daily, comparing what is being preached with the scriptures. And if there's ever a point that these two things do not line up, I hope that we'll be crying like newborn babies. We want nothing else. We want the pure spiritual milk. We want the word of Christ. We want Jesus. We've already seen that the elders have been given a special task of feeding the flock with this word, the gospel. And that deacons remove the practical obstacles that might get in the way of this gospel being preached. But the congregation, this whole congregation's role is to desire the pure milk of the word. And that leads to accountability. We should be holding, up, holding one another up to the word and holding one another accountable to that. I cannot emphasize enough that the word of God is the gift that he has given to his church to grow us up, as Peter says in the second half of verse 2, into salvation. What does he mean by grow into salvation? Does he mean that we have to be 
fully mature before we can be sure that we're saved? Well, of course not. That couldn't be what he's saying. Peter, and in fact many of the New Testament writers, often speak about some things that are already yours in Jesus, and yet that you haven't fully received. Or maybe he speaks about some things that you haven't yet received, and yet it's as if you already have them. So how do we understand this? Well, if we go back to chapter 1 again, in verse 3, Peter says, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So this salvation is already accomplished. It's sealed. The promise is set in stone. And in verse 5 and 9, he also he lays out what this salvation will look like in the future. A salvation ready to be revealed in the last time or obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And in between these two things, we find ourselves in this position of being kept by God, in this position of being called to be faithful in the meantime. This is this period where the salvation is working out, and that's what Peter's describing here. Now look in verse 3 of our text in 1 Peter 2. Peter pins this phrase onto this command. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So long for the pure spiritual milk. If you have experienced the grace of Jesus. It's a fact that you'll not ever crave something that you haven't tasted. The first time that you ever tasted that grace of having your sins forgiven by Jesus. You want more, right? And then if you feed that craving, you taste more of it and you desire it more. And so this is how you grow into salvation. Yes, you are made alive by the Spirit taking God's Word and making it effective in you for the first time raising you from the dead and giving you a new life. And now the Spirit uses God's Word in a similar way, continually growing you towards Christ. Anchored, if this is what this congregation is built on, you will be putting away malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, as Peter puts in verse 1. As you grow in the Word of God, you leave these things that belong to the old life outside the door, if we can put it that way. Now, you might notice that Peter isn't just putting together a few random sins and highlighting them in verse 1. These things, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, these are the things that we see out in the world that break families, that destroy communities and even nations. And sadly, we see churches that are not feeding and growing in the Word. And these things creep in and divide the churches as well. The opposite we find in chapter 1, verse 22. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another 
earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. God's word builds a congregation in love, a kind of love that drives out anything that wants to break and destroy. Moving on to verse 4. Peter continues in this theme of something that's continuous. He says, as you come to him. Yes, you have sprouted once to life, faith, and repentance. You have tasted for the first time. But just like growing into salvation, this coming to him is a process. It's a cycle. Peter looks beyond that first tasting of the grace of Christ. And he looks at wanting him more every day, resting and relying on him more every day as we're confronted by our sinfulness, every day trusting less in our own works. So as you come to him, before Peter goes on, he's going to answer a different question. Who is he? Who is this Jesus that we are coming from? Coming to? What do we need to know about him? A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. If you can, quickly turn with me to Isaiah in chapter 53. Here in chapter 53, Isaiah says, clearly speaking about Christ, For he grew up before him like a young plant. And like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. So this idea is that If you were looking at Jesus as he was on earth, you wouldn't be thinking, this is the perfect stone for God to build something beautiful. This is the one that God's going to use to build a glorious building. If you look at the life of Jesus, in fact, he was rejected. He was thrown out. He he didn't fit in. In fact, he was someone that many people didn't want to have around. And yet, Jesus was chosen and precious. Jesus was sanctified or set apart to be who he is for us, to do what he did on the cross in redeeming us. And then he came through death victorious, in order to become the first ever living stone. And now that he is alive, he is actively being the foundation of the church. And what about you? Peter says, you yourselves, or you also, or you just the same as Christ. In other words, he's saying, You are living stones, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. 
So for us, the picture is that God didn't go out looking for the straightest stones. He didn't go out and find the wisest people that he could find in order to build his church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says this, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. In verses 6 to 8 of our chapter 1 Peter 2, we see Peter says that there are only two kinds of people in this world. And those two kinds of people are defined according to Jesus. Those, there are people who believe in Jesus and there are people who don't. At the end of the day, either the word will enter into sinners and raise them from the dead and make them into living stones, or sinners will fall over that stone. Jesus' words in, in Matthew 21, he said, And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Why is that? For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. That's back in 1 Corinthians, where we were earlier. And so then, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. What is Peter talking about here? This honor is, has the idea of value, worth. So you are called in Christ not according to worldly standards of wisdom. You are the weak that is chosen to put to shame the wise. In Christ, you are precious living stones carved from dead rock. And the word of the cross is the power of God that saves you. The value that you have is from being built on Christ. It's his value. The life that you live is from being in Christ. It's his life. The set-apartness, the sanctification that you have is from being in Christ, from his sanctification, his set-apartness. As we think about this idea of the congregation, we are all individually called by Jesus, made alive and valuable. But there's more in what Peter is describing. Peter is painting a picture, not of us each on our own walk, in our own relationship with Christ. These things are important. In fact, these things are vital. But God's plan doesn't end there. 
in verse 5, Peter says that each stone is being built into something greater. A spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. These precious stones were not formed in order to stand somewhere by themselves looking pretty. You are placed in a body, in a congregation. You are designed to be part of this body. You are set apart not only for yourself. You are set apart to function with your brothers and sisters, no matter how imperfect they are, no matter how imperfect you are. If what Peter is saying is true, then the church is not an optional extra. It's not a condiment to add flavor to your Christian life. The church is at the very heart of what Christ is doing. Now notice in verse 5, Peter says, you are being built into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. And in verse 9, he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Once again, it's a similar idea to the salvation that we have, and it's not too difficult to understand because the work is done. The promise is set in stone. You are God's people. You are set apart. You are sanctified. And yet we are waiting to be made into God's completed people, sanctified in every way one day. And both of these things are true. And yet, in the meantime, we are being built, being sanctified, as we looked at earlier. And how are we being built up? Well, it's the gifts that God has given us. The Word, the Gospel of Christ. The Holy Spirit that takes that Word and makes it effective in our lives. Sanctifying, removing everything that breaks down and building us up in brotherly love. And he has gifted you to one another, and he has gifted one another to you. There's another picture that Peter presents, and that's priests, actually royal priests, priests and kings. And while this does describe the idea of being set apart, there's another part to it. He is describing our role as the congregation. The job of kings and priests is to love and serve and care for one another. This is not something that is done by the professionals. It's not something that belongs to the officers, the elders and the deacons. God desires for the whole body to be building itself up in love. And then we look at verse 9, the second part of verse 9. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are called to proclaim, to shout God's grace that he has displayed to us in Christ. Since we have been called and transformed from death into life, from darkness into light, from being worthless to being valuable and necessary, the wonder of the gospel demands that it doesn't just stay locked up. It doesn't just stay hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Now, there are different ways of proclaiming this good news. 
as Dad brought up two weeks ago quite beautifully, in Ephesians we see that the church is displaying God's wisdom even to heavenly beings. Another way that we should be proclaiming this good news is to one another. It's what we have been doing in praying, in reading, in singing, and what we will be doing when we take part of the Lord's Supper together. We should also be hearing this word proclaimed to us during the week and proclaiming it to one another during the week, sharing together in the gospel in our daily lives, whatever that might look like. And then moving outwards, we have this responsibility towards the neighbor, whether that is a colleague, relative, friend, to be proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to your neighbor. And moving out further, I do pray that one day God will use this church to proclaim the good news to those who have never even heard of Christ. But we'll leave that in his hands. Let me end by saying what Peter repeats for us in verse 10. Once you were not a people, you were running after whatever it was that your flesh impelled you to desire. But now, by the good news proclaimed to you, you have been handpicked, chosen to be a part of God, of a people set apart for God. You are now God's treasure because of Jesus. Once you thought you had to make it in this world, and perhaps in the next, by your own choices. And each of those choices was slowly crushing you. Now you are a people rescued, plucked out, and safe, together in what God is building. Jesus was rejected, thrown out for your sake, to conquer your sin and death. Then he rose and became the first living stone. In him you are now called, alive, and free to be living according to a new pattern of being set apart. Jesus made you precious and gifts you to one another, building you into his church. Until next time, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.